Amen. Got that one before I started talking. Okay. Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to be here with you this morning. Um, I, uh, I am not Pastor Stephen. Uh, Pastor Stephen is, uh, is with the, uh, the other congregation in Dixon City, um, ministering to, uh, to them this morning. So you guys got stuck with me uh, today. We are going to uh, transition a bit um, from our act study here and do a short two-part Christmas story theme here. Um, and what I'd like to do this morning is uh, just give you guys kind of a, a preface, an overview of, of where we're going to be over the next two weeks here. Um, so I'm going to start off with um, kind of catching us up to speed uh, as to what the Christmas story is all about. And then for a brief period, we're actually going to talk about a very controversial character uh, in Scripture over the years in Christendom in the person of Mary, um, and then we're going to talk about us a little bit. So if you look at your outline today, uh, you will see that there are three blanks. We have his story, then we have her story, and finally we'll have our story. The reason I tell you that now is I am not one to stick to an outline, and I will forget, and you will be upset with me, and I know that. So our big idea this morning as we kind of jump into this bigger picture of, of scripture here um, is that a humble, a meek and humble heart is the fertile ground the word of God needs to take root. Um, and what we're going to see throughout history here is how God uses lowly and humble circumstances to accomplish his will. So if you guys are, are thinking back to, to Scripture here, uh, Scripture begins in the beginning in the book of Genesis here with the creation of this world. And shortly after this world is created, uh, Adam and Eve um, decide to, to disobey God, and they sin. And God told them before they sinned that the day that they disobeyed and they ate of this particular fruit from a particular tree, that they would surely die. Um, and sin and death came into this world through that decision. Um, they were deceived by an entity that we would identify as Satan. Um, and God says something to Satan specifically um, concerning the seed of woman from the very beginning. And he tells Satan that the woman's seed and his seed would have enmity between each other, that someday the, uh, the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed of woman, but the seed of woman would crush the serpent's head. We continue on from the story there and we see uh, God's people uh, grow. Um, they fall into rebellion. We have the Noah account where God basically hits reset and says the world is so bad, I'm choosing one individual to continue my plan through. And from there, we get the Tower of Babel, and then an individual named Abraham. And God chooses Abraham because he's so great. He's already got a lot of kids. There's very little work to be done in Abraham's life. It's actually the exact opposite. He's an old man with no kids. And God looks down at his humble circumstance and he says, I choose you. Now with this old man comes an old woman. And through this old barren woman, God is going to create a family that he's going to choose. 
and he's going to cause this old baron's, baron's woman's womb to wake up, and she's going to have a son in her old age. And from that son, we continue through the rest of the story of Genesis, and we see this, this family that God has chosen growing and growing to the point where we get to Exodus, and we see that this, this family has actually become a nation. But this nation is, is living in bondage to another nation. And they've become so great that the king of the land, the Pharaoh, puts out a decree and he says, uh, the people are too great. So he tells the midwives, he says, listen, when you are delivering the babies of this Hebrew nation of God's people, any son that is born, you're going to kill them. And that's how we're going to kind of curb the population problem that we have here. But miraculously, God preserves the life of one of these children. His mother puts him in a basket, floats him down the river, and he is raised in the king's palace. His name is Moses. And through this individual Moses, God would deliver his people through God's power and God's word. He would deliver his people through this little baby who was floating down the river. Supposed to be dead, but now alive. From there, God would use this individual Moses to lead his people out of captivity, out of the bondage of slavery. And this people were so grateful. They were so joyous and overjoyed. God finally had a people, right? No. They complained. Their heart was hard. It was not an easy circumstance. Every time Moses left, it seemed like these people fell into rebellion time and time again. They begged at one point to go back to bondage and slavery. But God uses this circumstance for his glory. And the people enter into a promised land and finally everything is right and good. No. The people continue to be uh, prideful and arrogant and selfish. They want what they want and they clamor and they say, God, give us a king. Not realizing that they already had one. They say, give us a king like the other nations have. And God says, you already have a king and he's better than any nation of this world. But he gives them what they ask and they, they find the biggest and the best, the brightest. A man named Saul who was strong. And for a time followed the Lord. But eventually, as the people of Israel did, his heart strayed from the Lord. And God told the prophet Samuel to tell Saul that the kingship would be taken from him and given to another. And this time, God chooses the biggest and the best. No, he chooses a lowly shepherd boy. A boy from the house of Jesse in a town called Bethlehem. A boy whose father says, hey, look at all of my other sons. Look at all of my sons. They're so great. They're this, they're that. And Samuel says, not this one, not this one, not this one. And finally he gets to the point where he says, do you have any other sons? And Jesse's like, well, there's a boy. He's out in the field. You can, you can go talk to him. And Samuel goes out and he sees the boy and God says, anoint him. His name is David. 
Samuel would go on to tell us that from David's line, from this king's line, the one who would be the king of Israel, from this line would come the Messiah, the one who would save his people from their sins. Samuel tells us this, Isaiah tells us this, Jeremiah tells us this. This is repeated time and time again throughout scripture. David himself tells us in the Psalms that this is going to happen. And there's a hope and a joy that comes with this. And the kings live happily ever after. We still have a king today, right? No. The people, again, their hearts are hardened. They fall into rebellion. And the kingdom of God, David's throne, is split in two. And God sends prophets to the people with his word. And finally, we come to the prophet Malachi. At the end of the Old Testament here. And in Malachi chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, we get these words. These are the last words of the Old Testament. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their father, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Final words of the Old Testament. And then 400 years of silence. 400 years of silence. To put it in perspective, bless you. Got yelled at last week for not saying that. Um, It's an inside joke. Anyway, um, 400 years, to put 400 years into perspective, what happened 403 years ago in America this week? Does anybody know? What'd you say? No, not the tea party. Uh, Nope, not Jamestown. Pilgrims. The Mayflower lands in Massachusetts 403 years ago, December 22nd. Crazy, right? Think about that. Put that in perspective here for us. That means no building that currently exists in this country was standing at that point. The city of Philadelphia would not, be, would not be established until 1683. That's a long time ago. Um, to, to make it a little shorter, um, one of my favorite drum brands here, Zildjian, in 1623, started making cymbals commercially in Turkey. They now exist in Massachusetts today. That's where their, their, uh, their headquarters are. But again, 400 years of nothing. And then there's a priest whose lot is drawn and he gets to go before in the presence of the Lord. And as he's standing there, an angel appears to him. And the words come again. 
And part of the words that are said to this man named Zechariah are recorded in Luke chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. It says, and many, I'm sorry, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to wisdom of the just to make ready the Lord, for the Lord, a people prepared. Last words of the Old Testament. First words spoken of God, by God through this angel to a man. I don't think it's a coincidence. Uh, we know from our story, from our study here, um, that, that his story here, that God is using these lowly circumstances to accomplish his plan. This individual that Zechariah gets the, uh, the message from, this, this being, his name is Gabriel. He shows up twice in Luke here. First to Zechariah and secondly to our next person that we're going to talk about, Mary. But what is an angel? I mean, we have to ask that question. Well, an angel is a messenger. Uh, Gabriel tells Zechariah flat out that angels stand in the presence of the Lord. This is something that is uh, a being that is different than human beings. It is different than God. It is not the same as us. He, he does not have the same abilities um, as, as we do. We do not have the same abilities that, that he does. It, it's a unique being. And Zechariah is terrified of this individual. But this, this being, Gabriel says, you are going to have a son. I'm going to cause the womb of your old wife, who's been barren, to open up. The thing that you've been praying for your entire life, I'm going to give to you. And Zechariah kind of doubts, kind of has an Abraham moment where he laughs a little bit and says, how can this be? My old wife is going to have a baby. And Gabriel says flat out, I'm going to give you a sign. You aren't going to be able to speak until the baby's born. Zechariah comes out and he's like, you know, making signs, whatever, he doesn't know. But this individual who would be born to Elizabeth, his wife, would be a man who came in the power of Elijah. He would turn the hearts of the people. What was John the Baptist's message? In one word, if you could sum it up in one word, what was it? Repent, right? That guy said that word so many times. What's necessary for us to repent? Well, to repent is to turn. The Bible says here twice that John the Baptist's message was to turn the hearts of the children to their father. To turn the hearts of the people of Israel back to God. For the people of God to humble themselves in meekness and prepare the way of the Lord. See, John, not much unlike uh, Jesus, who is the main character of scripture, is going to run into the religious leaders of the time. And John's going to have some of the harshest words in all of scripture for these individuals. He's going to call them a brood of vipers. That he warned them to flee from the coming wrath. 
God says here, I'm sending a messenger before my son. I'm going to use the most unlikely of circumstances to accomplish my plan. Everything that the world looks at and says, that is foolishness. Why would you do it that way? That makes absolutely no sense. There's so many better ways to do this, God. God says, I'm doing it in my power, my strength, not yours. All the way back in Genesis, before Genesis, I had the plan. I'm enacting the plan. And I'm going to use the lowliest of circumstances. I'm going to use a people that will constantly be unfaithful to me but I will continue to be faithful to them. We come to her story here in Luke chapter one. Turn with me to verse 26 here. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now we get some background information here, and I, I think it's, it's a worthwhile endeavor here to talk about the time that we're in. Remember, 400 years of silence, and the only person who's heard from the Lord right now can't talk, okay? And Gabriel shows up to this probably anywhere from 13 to 16-year-old little Jewish girl from a town called Nazareth in a time where the people are in bondage and captivity, not just to the Roman Empire, but to their sin and death. And he brings a message to this little girl in what is perceived as a terrible town, okay? Um, many of you know, Paul always shows up when I talk about Philadelphia. I don't always talk about Philadelphia. Um, but Philly has some bad parts to it, okay? There's some parts that I, I much as soon would not go to. Um, I will say this, though. There is one other city that is just outside of Philly that if I never have to go to again, I will die a happy man. And that is the city of Camden, New Jersey. Camden, New Jersey is a rough, rough city. Several years ago, the, uh, the city council had an idea to, uh, to make the entire police force part-time. I was like, what? It's like, who's taking that job? Like, who's putting their life on the line every day to go into Camden, New Jersey and try to police that area part-time? Like, that's, it, was, it was insane. It was, a, it was a crazy idea. But Nazareth, at the same time, has this stigma to it. We would read later in Scripture that, that when, when the Pharisees would find out, or when, when the apostles, some of the, some of the followers of Christ, would find out that Jesus was, is, is from Nazareth, they would say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Again, God using the lowliest, humble circumstances to accomplish something great here. And not only does he choose this little town of Nazareth, where this woman is living in the, city of, or in the region of Galilee, full of a bunch of fishermen, 
which I love, um, full, full of a bunch of fishermen. Not only does he use that, but he picks a 13 to 16-year-old girl to give his message to. It says here that she was betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. Now this idea of of betrothed here, um, in Jewish culture, it was not uncommon for marriages to be arranged. Um, Ladies, everybody, every lady in this room, if your dad is here, look look at your dad, okay? I'm not a lady, but my parents are here. Look at your dad. Imagine your dad picking your husband. Uh, imagine your dad picking your husband when you are like two or three years old. And then for your entire life knowing who you were going to marry. Uh, much of the time in, in Hebrew culture, this was the case. But it was in that final year of arrangement that they were actually betrothed. And this idea of betrothal was, was basically marriage light. Okay, Um, they would act as a married couple. Everyone in the town, everybody in the region would know that these two were to be officially married. The only difference between actually being married and being betrothed in this uh, in this setup are two things, and I'm going to clean it up a little bit. You just wait. They weren't living together, and they did not know each other. Kids, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can talk to your parents after the service. Um, They didn't know each other yet, which is why it says that Mary was a virgin. She's betrothed to this guy named Joseph, who is of the line of David. Now, we have two genealogies in the New Testament. We have Joseph's line, but we also have Mary's line. Interesting that Luke doesn't mention that Mary is of the house of David as well. But in Matthew chapter 1, we find out that Mary's line comes from this king. Remember, the king who was promised. The king who, from his line, was going to come the Messiah eventually. And it says they're of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. What's Mary afraid of? I think it's interesting here. I think Zachariah is afraid of something else when he sees the angel. I think Zachariah is afraid of the angel. Mary's not afraid of the angel. What troubles Mary here? The saying, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She's perplexed. She she can't understand what this being who has just showed up is saying to her. Favored one? (laughs) I'm a nobody from nowhere. Sure, I I got a husband waiting for me, but that's pretty much all I have in my to my name. I'm no one special. Why, do, why would you come to me? What, what, is, what is with this greeting? She's troubled in her heart. She's trying to catch up. She's trying to figure out what is happening here. Maybe there's a part of her who knows 
that when he says the Lord is with you, that this is not the Lord. Because if it was the Lord, she'd be on her face. She'd be, bam, smacked down on the ground. She could not stand in his presence. But this being shows up and starts to have a conversation with her. She's confused, perplexed. Verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever, and his kingdom shall have no end. Now Mary's really confused. She's really concerned. I'm going to... I'm going to conceive and have a son. Maybe her brain is trying to, trying to catch up here, and she's like, okay, Joseph's of the line of David too. Um, we, we know that we're waiting for a Messiah, a Redeemer here. Maybe, maybe that's how it's going to happen, but he says, you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and, ha- and bear a son, and he shall be called Jesus. He will be great and called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mary is perplexed and afraid of the words that are being said. Guys, I want to tell you this morning, there's power in the word of God. There's tremendous power in the word of God. See, Mary's heart is meek and humble right now. Remember our big idea? That idea that a meek and humble heart is fertile ground for the word of God to take seed. Uh, Several times in scripture, the word is mentioned as as a seed, right? I mean, we think about the New Testament. We think about Jesus talking about the the seed that falls on, on good ground and the seed that falls on on hard ground and the seed that, that falls among the weeds. Mary's heart right now is the, is the seed that's falling on good ground here. Look back with me in Isaiah chapter 11. This is great. Um, I actually read this in Catholic church when I was in second grade. Um, second grade, I got chosen to do one of the readings at our, our first Holy Communion, one of the sacraments. And this is what I read as a second grader. There shall come forth, in verse 1 here of chapter 11, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and might, a spirit of knowledge and a fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees, nor decide disputes by what he hears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be hid the belt on his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The seed. Remember we said, who was David's father? Jesse, a a Bethlehemite. 400 years of silence and a shoot sprouts from the stump of Jesse. Daniel, remember Daniel when we were going through? Right? What does Daniel see when the king is cut off? He sees a stump. 
Isaiah. We talked about this last year when we, when we were going through Advent here. He, he says of the two kings that are, that are threatening Ahaz, he says they are stumps, they are firebrands. In a few years, there'll be no more. God says out of the worst possible circumstance, out of 400 years of silence, a shoot shall sprout. A seed shall take root. And life will be given. And how does this individual come? Does he come in the might of a sword? No. He comes in the might of his word. The word of God is powerful. It's true. Nothing is out of his hands. God uses the lowliest of circumstances here to accomplish his will. And then he comes to this woman who's in the lowliest of circumstances. And he uses her to accomplish his will. Nothing is out of his hands. He says he will give him the kingdom of his father David, and in verse 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Every Jewish mother wanted to hear this who was of the line of David. They were longing to hear these words. And here's this 13 to 16 year old girl she hears it Luke 34 here 134 and Mary said to the angel how would how can this be since I am a virgin I believe this is a completely honest question from a young girl I don't believe there is any disbelief in her heart I do believe that in the heart of Zechariah there was some disbelief just like in the heart of of Sarai in in the Old Testament that she laughed in her heart. I don't believe that Mary had any doubt in her mind that this was going to happen. She just wanted to know how. And Dr. Luke, and only the way Dr. Luke can, gives us the words that Gabriel said to Mary here, verse 35. And the angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born and called Holy, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you here. Now remember, guys, we are in a a Greek culture here. The Greek gods were, were not the not the most reputable people in the world. Their desire at times was for the women of earth. The angel Gabriel here says, no, that's not how this happens. Much in the same way that the Old Testament prophets were overshadowed with the word of God, much in the same way that God would overshadow the the temple Um, and, And his presence would be seen there. Much in the same way that the Holy Spirit gives gifts, as the Holy Spirit opened the womb of these old women here, God is going to give you the greatest spiritual gift ever. And your womb will be opened up. And he will not have an earthly father. He will have a heavenly father. He will be holy Dr. Lytle, what does that word holy mean? Set apart, separate, different. Angel's different. Mary's different than the angel. 
God is different than the angel. And we get this other being who is, where's Charlotte? What is he? Totally God and totally man, right? A sanctified, set-apart individual. You say to me, Billy, how did, how did people miss this? I mean, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, we learn that a guy in Mary's line was asked to give a sign. He said, he said ask a sign. He said, I'm sorry, he was asked to, to, to ask God for a sign. And Ahaz says, no, I'm not going to ask God for a sign. And God says, you know what? I'm going to give you a sign. He says, a virgin shall conceive and give birth. How could they miss this? Gabriel comes down and says, you're a virgin. You're going to give birth. This is the program. This is the plan. However unlikely, however lowly, you know what? God could have chosen Nicodemus. He could have chosen one of the religious leaders for their wives to be, to be given a, a son here. Sons are seen as valuable. Sons are seen as valuable to everybody except for the guy who's really in charge of the area right now, whose name is Herod. If any of you know anything about Herod, Herod killed all of his sons. He was afraid that they would take over the throne. Our God says, I'm giving a son. He will be conceived of a virgin here from the Holy Spirit. Verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And in the sixth month, um, I'm sorry, and this was the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Gabriel ends this section here and says, listen, your son is going to be separate. He's going to be holy. He is going to be called the son of the most high, the son of God. We would read in Isaiah that he'll be called wonderful counselor, prince of peace, almighty God. The government will be upon his shoulders. His kingdom, Gabriel says here, will have no end. He will reign over the house of Jacob, and he will reign righteously, not as he sees and he hears, but as he knows, because he is the son of the God who knows. I'm going to tell you something here, guys. Mary's heart is meek and humble right now, and it's ready for these words to be said to it. How do we know that? We read verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That word servant is a bondservant, a willing participant. Not someone who's been coerced into something that they don't want to do. Someone who has heard exactly what her life is going to be and said, I give my life to you, God. I'm a bondservant. Guys, there's, there's plenty of religions that, that twist the meaning of this woman, who she was. I'm going to tell you right now, Mary, she was just like us. 
She had a mom and a dad. She was conceived in sin. She sinned. She wasn't perfect. She has a grave, okay? No matter what anybody else tells you, she died. But she died as a servant of the Lord. See, when the angel came to Mary, Mary didn't just see it as, a, as her son that was going to be born. She knew that this was going to be her savior as well. I, I can't tell you how many times Pastor Stephen has, has said um, in a leadership meeting or maybe even in front of the church here, I, I hear him talk a lot um, just because we're, we're close. But Stephen often says, hey, first and foremost, I'm a member of this church. Then, then I'm a pastor of this church. And I love that mindset. I think it's so, so good to have. Mary has the same mindset here. First and foremost, she's a child of God. And she's a bondservant of God. She's not going to stand in the way of the will of the Lord, no matter what it's going to cost her. Because it's going to cost her. Favored one. Blessed are you. She's going to go to Elizabeth. Elizabeth's going to be like, oh my word, we've been waiting for this. You truly are a favored one. Here's what I'd like to tell you today. Back in Genesis chapter 3, when God is talking to Satan, he knew Mary's heart. When he chose Abraham, he knew Mary's heart. When he chose David, he knew Mary's heart. It wasn't like these people worked their way into some special category in God's favor. God had the plan before the foundation of this world. And he enacted his plan. When the world would look and say, this is foolishness, this is crazy, this is, this is nuts. Who would do it this way? God would. When it says in Isaiah that he will judge by not looking or hearing, the reason he can judge without looking or hearing is because he's God. He already knows Mary's heart. Here's what I'd like to tell you this morning. He already knows your heart. Same way he knew Mary's heart in Genesis. He knew Dennis's heart. He knew Mike's heart. He knew Sherry's heart. He knew Ike's heart. He knew who we were, and he still sent his perfect son. James tells us here, in James chapter 1, verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers, that every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For anger... The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. He would go on to say, don't just be a hearer of the word today, be a doer of the word. I don't know where you are this morning. We've seen his story. We've seen her story this is our story now. You've heard a glimpse of the entirety of the Old Testament and the beginning of our life, the life of our Savior here. 
the conception of the life of our Savior here. The word of God has gone out. Where is your heart today? Is it meek and humble? Is it fertile? Is it ready for the implanted word? James says here, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The word that Mary got was amazing. Joy to the world. The whole earth rejoiced at the coming of this. Heaven rejoiced. We're going to see that next week. We're going to see the birth of our Savior here. My question to you guys is those of you who know the story, who know it in your head, you know all the facts of the story, how has it changed our life? It changed Mary's life. How has it changed our life? Is it still relevant today? See, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there were 400 years of silence. I praise God that the implanted word in us, that the Holy Spirit that was given to us, we don't have to experience that 400 years of silence. We have God's word. We have the Holy Spirit. We're looking forward to when the king comes back. Those of us who know Christ, this is what our joy is. This is the second advent that we're looking forward to. The people of Jesus' time, apathy set in. You know what? We fight against it. Paul fought against it. It's been a while since Jesus has been here. The Holy Spirit is still here. Guys, my encouragement to you this Christmas season, as you look at your story here, as you look at the circumstances of your life and how messed up they might be or how great they might be, realize that whatever God has for your life, he is greater than that circumstance. No matter how much the world looks at you and says, you know what, you failed, you've messed up, you're done. God took a bunch of messed up people and he brought the savior of this world to them. He died for them. Again, guys, Genesis, Abraham, David, Gabriel, Jesus on the cross, he knew your heart before the foundation of this world. Receive the implanted word that's given to you. May this Christmas be the Christmas that you believe that the Savior has truly come.